Christopher Yuan is a Chinese-American who experienced a remarkable transformation in his life. Uh, perhaps you've heard his story before. Uh, after uh, being exposed uh, to uh, sexual content on the Internet at a young age, uh, he explored and during his college years, uh, away from the home, decided to engage uh, and adopt a very liberal homosexual lifestyle. Uh, in addition to a lifestyle of partying and drugs, he was at dental school during the time. Uh, and four months before graduating, he was expelled from school. Uh, from that point, he turned his life to the streets. Uh, in his words, his own words, he said that he began doing what he knows best, which was dealing drugs. That was the one thing that he was good at at the time. Uh, Christopher describes his life as thriving during this time says he felt respected by others, felt like a king. Uh, whatever he wanted, he could have, and whatever he wanted, he took for himself. Well, all of that changed one morning when he heard a knock at his door and found uh, 11 agents there uh, ready to arrest him. He says he got caught red-handed at that time as there were over 11 tons worth of evidence of drugs uh, right there in his living room. In between his arrest and his prosecution, he caught a glimpse of a book in a trash can and out of the corner of his eye. And he turned to see what it was, pulled it out, and it happened to be a Bible. So he kept it. Uh, he doesn't exactly know why he kept it at that time, but he did. Uh, he then later went on to serve time in prison. And once in prison, uh, he received some medical test results and that told him he had tested positive for HIV. While he was contemplating his life in his cell, he looked at the bunk bed above him and saw some words scribbled in pencil that said, If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29.11. So he took the Bible that he found out of a trash can, opened it up to Jeremiah 29.11 and read these words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord the plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, over the next uh, year or so, Yuan read the Bible cover to cover, and the Lord changed his heart gradually during his time in prison. He came to love Jesus uh, and to love God. And then after he served his term in full, he went out and got a theological education. Uh, his testimony and his life transformation was uh, so stark that he began speaking publicly to groups of college students and many others. He's been a major encouragement to those who struggle with SSA inside the church. Uh, and he even now teaches at a theological institute. Well, the transformation that Christopher Yuan went through in his life uh, is remarkable. Now, why do I bring it up this morning? Well, because if you knew Chris during his college years or shortly after his time as a drug dealer, uh, he's most likely the last person that you would have thought would become a Christian. His lifestyle was about as far away from the religious life as you could get, and yet, by the power of God, he underwent an incredible transformation, now living with the purpose to glorify God in what he does. If you were to look at his life, this change of belief 
desire and lifestyle cannot be the result of anything other than the supernatural grace of God. Well, in our text this morning, in his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul reminds them of his own testimony, which we read earlier in the service, which was so radical, so unlikely, that Paul uses it to tell them of the supernatural power of the gospel in order to remind them that the gospel is not a mere message devised by man. Unlike conspirators believe, the good news of Jesus was not invented by religious zealots or world leaders. It was revealed by God himself and is made known to others through the transformation of those who are called by his grace into saving faith. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find our text on page 972. It's 972. Now we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 24. 10 through 24 this, this morning. So it's important to remind ourselves what happened in the first nine verses of the book. A Galatia that the book is named after is a region. It's a Roman province. Uh, as you can see at the end of verse 2, uh, this is written to churches in this area. Uh, he writes to the Galatians with an unusual urgency in comparison with some of his other letters. And the reason for that urgency is that he's concerned that they are turning to a different gospel than the one that he preached to them on his missionary journey. Uh, not that there is another one, as he says, uh, but they are believing a message other than the one that Paul taught them originally. They are at least tempted to make that different message the center of their belief. On our study of Galatians, uh, you're going to hear the word gospel a lot. Uh, so just let me provide a, a brief summary of it. The word gospel simply means good news. And Christians often use it as a way to kind of summarize the teaching of the Bible, but specifically the good news of salvation. The good news that the kingdom of God has come in the presence of God's Son, Jesus. Uh, that through His death and resurrection, uh, He provided a substitute for us. Uh, see, we are in need of grace because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we therefore are subject to God's just and good wrath. We cannot atone for our sin on our own. We need a substitute. So Jesus came to the world and lived a perfect life as a human, providing himself as a sacrifice. He rose from the grave three days later to confirm that he had that God had accepted this as a sacrifice and that he had conquered the power of sin and death. And he calls everyone everywhere to repent, meaning to turn from their sin and to instead trust in Jesus. That trusting or relying on Jesus' work on the cross uh, is enough to pay the ransom for our sin, uh, to be seen as righteous in God's eyes in the day of judgment. So the good news is simply that we can be forgiven that God, for, from the beginning of time, had a plan to redeem sinners. Well, this is the message that Paul preached to the Christians in Galatia. And for this reason, uh, Paul is quick to correct them because they're steering away from what we would call a gospel of grace. That is, it's not anything that we do. It is simply Christ's work that saves us. We simply uh, trust in him. The Galatians appeared to be believing those who were teaching that to be saved 
you not only had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to obey Mosaic law or the Old Testament. So Paul reaches out through this letter to try to correct them and win them over. And that will become clear as we work through the rest of the book, uh, what exactly, what teachings in particular Paul's concerned about. But it may also be that along the way, these teachers who were teaching this false gospel went out of their way to discredit Paul as an apostle. Uh, They might have called him an illegitimate apostle because Paul appears to defend his own ministry, his own calling as an apostle. So Paul reminds them that he was called by God, not simply so that they would recognize him as a person, but so they would recognize the gospel that he preached as being directly from God himself. Uh, Paul then is much more like a a prophet from the Old Testament, uh, giving uh, the word of God to the people of God. And so Paul warns them in the most severe terms that if anyone comes to them preaching a different gospel, whether or not they're an apostle, even if they're an angel, he says, they are to be accursed. It's the correct message that is authoritative, not the authority of the messenger. Well, this good news that we call gospel is the news that Jesus himself preached. Uh, It's the news that frees us from the, the commands to obey the Old Testament law. Instead, to trust in the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. Well, Paul reassures them that his apostleship or his calling as God's messenger to bring the gospel to the Gentiles is legitimate. And our passage this morning is basically his argument for why they should believe that's the case. And with that in mind, let's read our text together now. Galatians 1, verses 10 through 24. Paul says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. I remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul's primary argument for this section or his thesis is found in verse 11. 
the gospel he preaches is not man's, but God's. Uh, Paul's desire to convince them is for the sake of pleasing God, as you can see in verse 10. And to make this argument, he basically provides three uh, pieces of evidence. First, he points them to the transformation in his own life and when he was called by Jesus himself. And then he shows that he didn't receive any kind of influence from the other apostles. And then his final piece of evidence is how his testimony was received by Christians who didn't even know him in Judea. Well, I'm just going to walk through uh, some of those throughout the sermon. But the main idea for us this morning is this. God is glorified in the lives of those who are changed because of the gospel. God is glorified in the lives of those who are changed because of the gospel. My prayer is that if you are a member of this church, you would reflect on the grace of God in your own life and the ways that the Spirit has been active to change you from the inside out. And if you're here this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, my prayer for you is the same as Paul's for the Galatian churches, that you would see the gospel as the message given to us from God himself, and that you would like to experience the same kind of radical transformation that we see in Paul's life, in your own life. I'm going to do this in two points. Uh, first point, the gospel has the power to radically change lives. The gospel has the power to radically change lives. Uh, Paul's on a mission to correct these Galatians from accepting what, what I call a Jesus plus law gospel. Jesus plus law. And in order to do that, he has to demonstrate that his motives are not selfish. He needs to convince them that the gospel he preached was not influenced by anything from his past, nor was it influenced by other religious authorities or the Christians. Paul's basically explaining to them that he didn't receive the gospel from anyone except God himself, that man had nothing to do with it. And that's, the most, that's most obviously seen in the study of Paul's life and the radical transformation he went through as a result. Uh, Paul has an incredible testimony, as we've already read uh, earlier, on his way on the road to Damascus. He was a persecutor of the church, a Pharisee. Uh, his name was Saul at the time. Uh, when along the way he saw a blinding light, he heard the voice of Jesus speak to him and give him a calling to preach to the Gentiles. It's amazing the way that Luke describes it in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 9. That while Saul was on the road to Damascus, Luke says he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We get even more info about what Paul was like before his call to be an apostle in verses 13 and 14 of our text this morning. Paul explains his life in Judaism as a Pharisee. He says, verse 13, For, I have, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And as I was advancing in Judaism, beyond many my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What Paul is saying, what, what Paul is saying by mentioning these things, he's saying that nothing about his life would lead to him preaching the gospel except for some kind of divine intervention from God himself. What we learn about Paul's past is that he was thriving in the Jewish religion. Uh, he says he was advancing beyond many others his own age. 
He was above the average cut. He was extremely passionate to hold to the traditions of his ancestors, which is probably why he was so violent against Christians at the time. He viewed himself as doing the Lord's work. You know, it's interesting to note that Paul knew a lot about the Christian faith before becoming a Christian. Uh, It's not as though he just didn't understand the message before, and once he learned it, he became a Christian and was convinced by it. Uh, There's no indication that Paul was naive to what Christians believed. Uh, In fact, it was because he was a Jew, he knew that the Christians believed Jesus to be the Messiah figure. Even more scandalous, Christians believe that this Messiah figure died a shameful death on a Roman cross. Since he's been raised, uh, Christians worship Jesus equally with God as the second person of the Trinity. As a devout Jew, uh, Paul believed he was correcting blasphemy against the Lord. So he was zealous. Uh, He was committed. He was accomplished in Jewish circles. Uh, He had all authority from the highest authority in the land to basically do whatever he pleased to Christians. Paul's description of where he came from tells us he is the last person on earth that you would expect to switch religions on a whim, to be influenced by others. But friends, this is what God does in people's lives. He gives them new birth completely. He reveals himself in a way that convicts us of our sin and sees Jesus as true and authoritative. Not just authoritative, but attractive The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to change our disposition from wanting to worship ourselves and to live in our sin to instead wanting to obey Jesus, to walk rightly with God. Feeling the compassion of the Lord and being overwhelmed by His mercy, the Lord softens our hearts towards Himself. And the mystery of salvation and meaning in life is revealed in the person of Jesus when we understand who he is. Now, Paul explains that part of his radical transformation was due to a a specific calling that he received from Jesus. So unique from what every other Christian experiences, or many Christians experience, I should say. In verse 15, he says, When he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul's call as an apostle was not just to be a Christian, though it was at least that. It was a call for him specifically to preach Christ to the Gentile world, a.k.a. the Galatians, the very group now in danger of accepting a different message. Uh, Paul's life could not have gone through a more radical change. Previously, he was on a mission to threaten and to kill disciples of Jesus, Uh, Once converted, he became their advocate, trying desperately to protect them from leaving the faith. He actively preached so that more people would believe in Jesus. Notice, too, that Paul did not have anything to gain by converting to Christianity. Uh, In Paul's day, it was to join the very group that he was trying to put to death. Uh, He was trying to ransack the church to utterly destroy it. The same kind of language is used uh, to describe the conquest of cities, uh, to bring it to ruin. And yet, that's the group he joined. Uh, We can also observe that Paul was not lacking anything 
in his life in Judaism. He was well-trained, received good education, recognition, advancing in rank. He was ambitious. All of those things would have been highly uh, attractive to a devout Jew. So what does Paul stand, by, stand to gain by becoming a Christian? Well, in the eyes of man, nothing. He has everything to lose, actually. He goes from a position of respect in the community, a position of power in his religion, to a propagator of what he would later call a stumbling block to the Jews. His life as a Jew was so dramatically different that he called himself the foremost or the most prominent sinner in 1 Timothy 1.15 because he thought he was serving God while he was persecuting the church. He was actually God's enemy. Well, that's point one. The second point is that the gospel is from God and not man. The gospel is from God and not man. Uh, in some ways, uh, this, could, this could have been a continuation of point one uh, and just been one long big point. Uh, but I decided to separate it. But this is what Paul is really trying to communicate to the Galatian Christians. This is the whole point of the text today. The gospel is not man-made. It's not an invention like some like to believe. Uh, critics will say that religion is man-made, made up, that its proponents can't even agree about what the uh, prophets say. I've already mentioned the fact that Paul's conversion happened as a result of Christ's direct intervention in his own life. But did you notice the way that Paul described that intervention in verse 15? He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. Paul says that God had set him apart. He mentioned that God predetermined to use Paul as a missionary to the Gentiles, and it pleased God to reveal Jesus to him. A crucial thing for us to understand when it comes to uh, the revelation is that God ordained any kind of disclosure about himself throughout history. God is a self-disclosing God uh, through his prophets and primarily now through his word. In other words, God has planned from the beginning the circumstances of revealing himself. God has decided how others will come to know him and to experience him. And even who will come to know him. And he sometimes chooses people like Paul, whose testimony simply can't be explained without God's power being factored into it. But on a smaller scale, uh, this same thing could be said about every Christian. Uh, because every person who believes in Jesus has a miracle done inside of their heart. Regardless of how dramatic your testimony is, perhaps you do not hear the voice of God himself, but we were all born spiritually dead. In our sinful state, we are not drawn to the things of God. Uh, we were dramatically drawn to ourselves. But God determined to reveal himself to every individual Christian in one way or another. As Christians, we recognize that God has not only revealed himself to us, but he has changed our hearts to be warm towards him. Mankind's natural disposition is to turn away from God. Therefore, if it were completely up to us, we would have not believed in God. 
there had to be supernatural change within us, a revelation in our own hearts and minds to see Jesus for who he truly is. Spurgeon's description of how he came to faith is an excellent example of how the Lord sovereignly works behind our conversions, whether or not we realize it. When reflecting on his own conversion, he said this, When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when I first received those truths. He's talking about the doctrines of sovereign overcoming grace. He says, I I remember the day and the hour when I first received those in my own soul, when they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron, and how I recollect how I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man, that I had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once and for all that clue to the truth of God. One weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. The thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord, but how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was introduced to pray by reading the scriptures. Well, how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my consent, my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Do you see your own conversion and a conversion of brothers and sisters in this church as living examples of God's power and work in the world? It's the result of the true gospel that transforms each of us from the inside out. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul called them, the Corinthian church, his letter of recommendation because of the change that they went through in their lives as a result of the gospel that he preached to them. Much like Paul's transformation in our verses, Paul pointed to their transformation as evidence of God's gospel work going on. If you're here this morning and you have never stepped out in faith to believe in Jesus, first, we're so glad that you're here. You're always welcome. Thank you for joining us. But I want you to know that there's nothing you can do to make this change within your own heart. And while I desire to persuade others of the truthfulness and the reliability of scriptures, and there's no shortage of, I think, good arguments to do so, it's only God that can cause us to believe it. The good news is that God can work in our hearts to bring about that same kind of radical transformation that Paul goes through and that the Corinthians go through. If you long for that kind of transformation in your own life, ask the Lord to give you a new birth. Ask Him to open your eyes to the truth of His Word and submit to the Lordship of Christ. 
read through his word to get to know who God is. Learn everything he says and pray that God would change your heart in the process. Can you imagine if there is a God who knows all things, who is all-powerful, and he has written down knowledge about himself that you can read freely? Don't you want to know what it says? Read his word and ask the Lord to open your eyes to these things. Another thing to note is that when Paul said that God revealed his son to him, he doesn't simply mean he saw him uh, physically. It's actually a little unclear whether or not Paul saw him. He was just blinded by a light uh, and heard the voice of Jesus. Uh, but the word for revealed, uh, the word for revelation is, is a revealing, like pulling a curtain back. It's making something known that was previously hidden, meaning Paul already knew who Jesus was. But he didn't see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. He didn't see Jesus as, the God, as God, the Son incarnate, or the Messiah figure. So in revealing his Son to Paul, he was removing the veil of his heart to see Jesus for who he really is. Paul's whole argument here is that God is the author of all of Paul's beliefs, and that the message he preached to them was not an enlightenment of his own, but a direct revealing from God the Father about the mysteries of God for the sake of the spread of the gospel to Gentile nations. As I said earlier, it must be the case that those proponents of the Jesus plus law gospel were accusing Paul's teachings as being the teachings of man based on the proofs that Paul gives in this passage. I assume they're accusing him of being influenced by the apostles or perhaps influenced by other uh, Christians. And who knows what the reason for that is. Maybe they were just trying to say he's not a real apostle. You know, uh, who, who really knows? We can't determine for sure. It's best left unsaid. But Paul goes to such lengths to explain what he did after his conversion experience. And in light of the claim that Paul received the message secondhand or that it was lacking with some kind of authority, Paul explains he's not controlled or influenced by the apostles of the church. That's why he says he didn't consult with anyone. Instead, uh, before going to Jerusalem, he didn't just want to see, you know, their interpretation of what happened to him. Instead, we read in verse 18 that it wasn't until three years after his conversion, Paul went to go see Peter. And even then, he didn't go to see, you know, the group of the apostles as an authoritative board. He went to get to know Peter, who's called Cephas in this passage. Uh, as I've studied the passage this week, uh, these 15 days have become one of my new uh, just favorite questions to imagine and to speculate about. If I could just hop in a time machine anywhere, where would I go or sit on, a, sit, sit on the wall as a fly and listen to a conversation? I think it'd be between Paul and Peter. Uh, why do I say that? Just think about all of the things that they could have spoken about. Uh, perhaps Paul was asking Peter lots of questions about who Jesus was like since Peter had spent time with him on earth. Uh, perhaps he was asking uh, Peter about the death of Jesus and what that was like to experience it. Perhaps Peter told Paul about how he had denied the Lord three times. Perhaps Paul asked Peter about his own conversion. Uh, we don't really know what they talked about. 
Uh, so we can only speculate, but I think it would be a fascinating conversation. What seems to be the case is that Paul is not looking for any kind of authorization from Peter, but simply just getting to know him. Uh, that's why he also explains he didn't even meet any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Whatever their conversation was like, for our purposes in Galatians, it was an uneventful trip. Uh, Paul didn't go to uh, speak with them as a whole, though he would later, and we read about that in Acts 15, about theological matters in the church. But when it comes to the message that Paul received, that Paul was preaching, uh, it simply was, you could say, maybe affirmed by Peter, not in disagreement with what Peter was preaching as well. And the final piece of evidence that Paul gives, that his message is from God and not from man, to support his argument was likely to combat those who attacked his reputation. Uh, perhaps the false teachers were telling the Galatians that Paul was preaching for his own selfish reasons or that he was misusing his influence on others. And what Paul says in response is that after leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea, he was completely unknown by them. How could he be working for his own benefit if they didn't even know who he was? He says, I was an unknown person in verse 22. Uh, they didn't know who he was. They simply knew that he once persecuted the church. He now preached the gospel, and so they gave glory to God for it. Paul was not preaching the gospel for the sake of reputation, either among Jews or Christians. He was not doing it to please man, as he states in verse 10. If he were, that would make him a servant or a slave of man, and therefore not a servant of Christ. Well, there's a few things that I think we can apply to our lives uh, this morning about this text. Uh, the first is that we must pray. We must be a praying people. Uh, to, to pray is to rely on and to hope in God. And we know as Christians that any growth in ourselves is the work of God in our lives, not our own. So we should pray for the Lord's work in our lives. We, shall, we, we also should pray for those that we love and long to become Christians uh, because we cannot make them become Christians. As I stated earlier, the best arguments in the world cannot convince someone if the Lord has hardened their heart. And what you'll find is uh, in the highest intellects in the world, there are those who believe and there are those who don't. Uh, so it's not a matter of intelligence or simply hearing the right words articulated or presented in a certain way. The gospel is the gospel message. And if God sees it fit, he will soften our hearts to receive it with joy and thanksgiving, or our hearts will be hardened towards him. So we must pray that the Lord would do that work in the lives of those that we love who have yet to experience the grace and the mercy that we have in Christ. Pray that the Lord would use His Word to open others' eyes by His Spirit, as it's only His Spirit that convinces us of who Jesus really is. A second point of application, we as Christians should be careful about how we talk about God revealing Himself to us or God speaking to us. I've heard many people say that God told them this or God told them that, uh, and when we talk like that, we give the impression that we have a similar experience as Paul, as if we audibly heard the voice of God. 
I have also heard people claim that, and my conclusion of them at that time was that they were fraudulent, that they were con men. Uh, and God can, and I think does, speak to people in this very direct way. Paul, in fact, is a part of a pattern that we see throughout Scripture. God spoke to Abraham. He spoke to David. He spoke to Moses. Now he speaks to Paul. Uh, this is one of the ways that God reveals himself to his people, but this is not the ordinary experience. So we must be careful as Christians to guard our language so as to not communicate that we had the same kind of experience as one like the Apostle Paul had. Now, Christians often do want wisdom and guidance. They want the Lord's direction in their life, and these are good things to desire and to pray for. We want God to lead us in a certain way, and yet most of the time when we want this kind of guidance... The Bible is not so specific as we would like it to be, uh, speaking into exact situations. Well, when that happens, we must go to the Word to look for guidance. Uh, the reason I say that is because it's easy in areas of prudence for us to confuse our own desires with the Lord's will for our lives. So if you're experiencing something you want in life or you want guidance in, go to God's word first. Perhaps you're considering a career move or whether to date a particular person or what kind of things to prioritize in your financial budget. Go to God's word and ask what God does say about these things, even if it only speaks generally to them. There's a whole host of things that God has not specifically spoken about. I think in his wisdom, he has, he has veiled it from us. But there are lots of principles that you can apply to the decisions that we have to make in life. So you can say, okay, I know God's will is that I'm, that I'm uh, well respected by others in my job, by outsiders. It's one of the qualifications for being an elder, for example. Will this new job or this promotion allow me to do that? I know that the Lord wants me to make the most of my time and to serve Christ joyfully without groaning. Will a career move affect my time and availability? Does it conflict with my responsibility to care for my family? If portraying the glory and character of God is God's purpose in marriage, is this person a good candidate? Are my motives God-honoring or selfish? Uh, is this a wise thing to do? Why or why not? Scripture says that God gives wisdom graciously to those who ask for it. So brothers and sisters, we must read his word to see what he says, pray and ask for wisdom, and trust that the Spirit will give it to us over time. Prioritize these things over uh, emotions and desires, and pray for God's grace in your life. And when you come to a decision, be careful not to equate that decision that you've come to with God revealing himself or, uh, or calling you to do something like the way Paul is speaking here. Uh, Paul's calling was very specific and precise and directly from God himself. And so we must be wise as Christians when we communicate how the Lord teaches us from his word and directs our steps. Final point of application. Similar to the previous one, humble yourselves before the Word of God. Humble yourselves before the Word 
of God. God's word is powerful. Uh, It is like a double-edged sword. It cuts to the hearts of men. And God speaks through it. Uh, Regardless of who God's messengers were at different times in history, uh, the, the practice of Christians, the belief and convictions of Christians, uh, is that God has always spoken to us from His Word. Uh, therefore, uh, conclusions that you come to can't contradict what God's Word says. Uh, beliefs in God can't contradict what He's previously revealed about Himself. Our God is a God of truth who never lies, as it says in Titus. Humble yourself before the Word of God and rely on God's word and by his spirit to cause change and transformation in your life. Paul's message is simple enough in these verses. Don't abandon the gospel that I preach to you, because I received it directly from God himself. I speak not on my own authority, not even the authority of other apostles, but only by the authority of Jesus himself, who called me to preach the gospel to Gentile nations such as yourself. Credit for the radical change in Paul's life can only be given to God. Such transformation is evident in Paul, but it's not unique among Christians. All who believe in the gospel are made new and undergo a transformation of some kind of will and desire and behavior and worship. And it's that very transformation that Christians in Judea praised God for in the life of Paul. Therefore, we bring glory to God when our lives are transformed and shaped according to His will as it is revealed to us in His Word. God is glorified in the lives of those who are changed because of the gospel. Therefore, Christian, has the change in your life been evident to the world around you? This is one of the reasons why I think Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling so that on the day of judgment you will stand before God sanctified by the blood of Jesus, which is able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I pray that we would do that in our own lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise because you are a God of disclosure. You have revealed yourself to us. Long ago, through our fathers, through the prophets, through the scriptures, but in these last days you have revealed us, yourself to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus, who is the exact imprint of your nature. Lord, would you work in our hearts. Help us to transform more like Christ, as the day of the Lord draws nearer and nearer. And we pray these things in the name of of your Son, Jesus. Amen.